Have you ever wondered what happened to Lance Von Erich? Find out in his book, Lance by Chance, Wrestling as a Von Erich. You'll read stories about Chris Adams, Ric Flair, and Billy Jack Haynes. And of course, the Von Erich family themselves. Get your book today on Amazon. PWC Podcast. With Rick Del Santo. For all your wrestling reviews, interviews, and news, Rick covers the United Wrestling Network, the NWA, and the Northeast region of the United States Independence. PWC. 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 in the zone. This is your luscious god, luscious Rocky Reynolds, and you are listening to the Wrestleville Podcast. listening to the Russellville podcast. I'm your host, Vinny Berry, and I'm bringing back this episode, Rocky Reynolds, four-time NWA junior heavyweight champion. Rocky was on the show previously, and he was talking about his book. He was talking about his career, but today we're going to talk about the the tragedy of his, of his wrestling career that ultimately made him uh, decide to walk away from professional wrestling. Rocky, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing really good, Vinny. You? Oh, I'm doing good, man. Thank you for coming good. back. And I'm really eager to talk to you. I, I enjoyed your book, Luscious. And uh, it was it was a great story. And people that know you in the business have told me the same thing. You have a great story. So if you have not read uh, Rocky Reynolds' book, luscious you need to go out and get it because it is it is a an amazing read it's an easy read and it's just a a a great story oh hey i appreciate all those kind words Vinny. yeah yeah well well it's the truth (laughs) because (laughs) i enjoyed it immensely and i and I'll, i'll tell you this for me to finish a book it has to be good ah i understand i get that rocky talk to me a little bit about the the tragedy you know take me up to that day take me up to you know tell us what happened tell us who all was involved and you know tell the fans and the audience who were listening to this what was going through your mind you know what what happened well you know like any other aspiring professional wrestler the goal is to make it to television and of course me being a WWE slash WF fan growing up, that was my goal. So here I am at one of the NWA convention shows. And it's actually a two-night show. Or, yeah, it's uh, two nights. It's almost like how they do WrestleMania now. It, it took place over two nights. And in the NWA convention is pretty much where they bring in the best of every territory. Because the, the NWA back then was broken up into territories worldwide still. And they would bring in the best talents from each territory and they would put on a show once a year, the big convention show. So on this particular year, um, I was in a four-way ladder match for the NWA World Junior Heavyweight title on the second show at, uh, in the main event. So we were literally closing the entire show out. Now, I know that there, you know that these convention shows, they are seen, they are watched. Uh, you got people from from WWF that are going to check it out. Of course, with TNA at that time being a branch of the NWA or being stemming from the NWA, that those P, uh, P, P, people had say 
uh, on tele- on TNA television were there and were going to be seeing the show. So I knew I had to do something in the hopes of stealing the show after two nights of incredible wrestling, awesome indie workers and awesome up and coming talents. When the day of the show comes, I'm in the back locker room and I'm going to wrestle this match with, uh, got to remember all of these guys' names, Vinny Viagra, um, Double Dragon, and I can't remember the third. I could picture that, that fourth guy. I think Kenny was his name. I can't remember if that's part of his gimmick name or not, though. But so the four of us, the NWA World Junior Heavyweight title is hanging from the rafters. First guy to make it up a ladder, get the title down, wins the title. Uh, regular rules to a ladder match. So I wanted to do something where I was going to stand, stand out, not just in that match, but for the whole night. So I know that growing up, when I was getting into wrestling, Hardy Boys were new. And my finishing move was a swanton bomb. So there you always see Jeff doing the crazy swanton dives. He did that 20-foot ladder dive at WrestleMania that one time. Sure was a memorable dive. Can I possibly emulate something close to that? So when we were playing out the match, I told the guys I wanted to work a spot in where um, I would, as we call it in the business, shit can uh, everyone on the outside floor. You would actually just throw everybody on the out the outside floor out of the ring to out to the floor reason was is to set them up to catch me for some kind of a dive so my plan was to put a ladder up in the center of the ring and swanton off it from the top to the over the top rope to the outside floor uh to hopefully be safely caught and you know that i would hope would catch some eyes so um as a match we go out there we start the match up everything's going smooth and actually just a little side note here. You can, I had that a match download on YouTube a couple of years ago. So you can watch that match in its entirety on YouTube because High Spots was there and they videotaped it. And uh, I got the match from there, posted it on there. But so uh, we go out there, we start the match. Everything's going smooth. I'm feeling great. We're hitting, a, we're hitting different ladder spots. Well, then comes the moment for me to, attempt this crazy dive. Now, the funny thing is I've done the swanton off the top of ladders before, but never out of the ring to the outside floor. I've done it off the top rope to the outside floor a few different times. Uh, Not where the guy was laying prone, but the guy would be standing up and would catch me up while I was upside down to kind of buckle. So I put the ladder up. All three guys are out there. Now, knowing that, just knowing physics, uh, that if when I push off, those ladders like to kick. So as I'm getting ready to climb the ladder, I look at the referee and I order him, hold this ladder, you know, just keeping in gimmick. So he does, he holds on to the ladder. I climb up to the top and, oh, what I was saying, the funny thing is Aaron Madden, me, I hate heights. I'm scared of heights. But Rocky Reynolds, I, for some weird, I don't know, psychological reason, I don't get scared of heights. I never have. Jumping off ladders, top rope, nothing. Doesn't bother me when I'm Rocky Reynolds Um, on this night though, I was so high up when I got to the top and I'm looking down, not only was I at the top of uh, top of the ladder inside the ring, looking to the outside floor that I also factor, you know, or was I, I'm I'm like five, six, I'm not a very tall guy, but I'm looking, I'm also five feet, six inches taller on top of that ladder too, from where my eyes are looking down. So it's a long, long ways, but I knew at that point, well, there's no turning back. You just do it. And I had not had nothing ever go wrong yet. It's a risk. You understand that 
I'm also young. I'm immortal in my mind. I'm going to be fine. No big deal. So I do my little signature thing, you know, like a hand gesture thing I do. Then I jump out. And when I jumped, I remember jumping and I didn't feel like much of a push off. I just remember jumping and I didn't go far out. And right before and as I go out, I remember myself going out, but not down. Um, and next thing I know, I'm like, I'm, I'm regaining consciousness. So, um, and everything seems weird. And I keep hearing, Rocky, you're going to be okay. Rocky, you're going to be okay. And then I lost consciousness once again. Um, I came back to consciousness again. And now this time, um, I'm strapped to a gurney. And I'm being wheeled past the ring. Now, I have no idea what I did. I have no clue. I just know I'm at a wrestling show. I'm certain I was probably wrestling. And I have no idea what is going on. But I've always been the entertainer in my mind. I always play the crowd. I talked about that in the first episode of this podcast. And I wanted to ask you, you know, you, the Swanton Bomb was was your move. You you did this many, many times, but never off the ladder. You know, you wanted, and you talk about in your book, that you wanted to stand out. That th- this this was important for you to have a uh, have an important showing. And And you were, as it sounds close to being signed to tna or they had their eye on you for sure right yes oh yeah i i had done a i had done a few different dark matches for them and they were constantly watching me which was obviously flattering and nerve-wracking at the same time but knowing this was the shot eyes are on me at this moment so i had to go for it and so take us back to that moment when you're on the gurney you're in and out of consciousness when did it dawn on you that that something terribly wrong happened when i remembered being on the gurney strapped down going past the ring i had no idea what i had done where i was at i just knew a wrestling show and i was being watched i i figured that so i put my hands out to the side and did like a like a rock around hand salute thing that i do every time before i jumped off the top rope with the swanton bomb and when i did that i heard the crowd cheer then i lost consciousness once again so then when I come back to consciousness again, I'm now in an ambulance and I'm strapped down and I hear the NWA Pro Motor that I had been working for for the last, co- for, for the last couple of years saying, Rocky, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. I remember I picked up my head because I was, my feet were at the back of the ambulance. My head was towards the uh, front of the cab. And I looked down towards the where my feet were and the doors were still open on the ambulance and my promoter was out there you know and uh again i lost consciousness now when i finally came to and started to realize things um and then when the next time i came to i remember i was just staring at a ceiling this is so plain as day to me this remembers because it was so weird i was laying on i was just laying there looking at a white ceiling well then i and i can't hear nothing no i mean like you know like when um if you've ever been knocked out when you start coming back to it almost sounds like you're underwater you know uh it takes a while for your senses your hearing to start kicking in fully so when i start seeing the white ceiling i'm looking and i'm looking right next to me and there's a white wall and there's nothing on the wall there there is a mirror on the wall but i'm not able to look into it yet 
And I'm not, and I'm trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And I look down at my body and I notice all my wrestling gear is still on my boots, my tights. And at this point, I began to hear sound now. It's kind of uh, water, underwater sound, and it starts to clear up and it's of crying. And I turn my head to the other side of the far room and there's my, there's my wife. Uh, and literally when I said my wife, I'd only been married, I think at this point, two months. We were just recently married. Oh God, well back in 2000, early 2000s, I have to go back and look at the time, 2001, 2002, I think 2001. But um, I'm still with my, with, with my wife to this day. So I hear her crying. And at that point, now she doesn't know that I'm conscious. She has her head down looking at her lap. She's crying. No one else is in this room. A completely white room. I notice my wrestling gear. Well, I sit up. And um, at that point then, she sees me. And I, or I start laughing, I think is why I first start to do it. I either sip or start laughing both about the same time. And that catches her, her attention. And she's shocked. And I just look at her laughing because I know I did something stupid, but I have no idea. But I know I'm fine because when I first noticed I was there and she was crying, I wiggled my fingers and toes to make sure I could move them. I knew then, okay, whatever you did, you're not seriously messed up. So, and no, and I laugh at everything. So knowing it probably couldn't be too serious, I begin laughing. She looks at me and I say, hey, as I'm laughing, what did I do? And she just said, you fell. And at that time, I remember that mirror being there and I looked over into it um, in my reflection. I had a dry crimson mask gone right across my face. Uh, and I said, oh boy. And then she began, oh, and I can't remember if she dropped clues to me or you know just mentioned ladder whatever but it all began to come back to me at this point and i knew i was in that ladder match i jumped but i couldn't remember what happened when i jumped i just knew i died that i did jump and i figured i had to have landed wrong something went wrong well yeah as it turned out um when i jumped the ladder kicked went way back when i said i jumped and i didn't feel myself go out that's because i didn't i well i did i maybe went out like two feet rather than probably like five or six that I should have to reach the guys that were going to be catching me. I went out just over the top rope and went straight down on top of my head on a hard tiled floor, literally peeling the top of my scalp back lost. Um, well, the, the doctor comes in and I'm asking, well, Hey, what's going on? They, and they told me how lucky that I am uh, that I, that I'm not seriously hurt whatsoever, that I didn't break my neck because they said I spiked on top of my head, peeled back part of my scalp, last two and a half pints of blood they had to put 13 staples in my head to seal it up. And, uh, and I had a stage two concussion with light bruising to my brain. Now, all this, you know, now over time, like th throughout the night, I began to feel more of the head starting to hurt. But at this time, I'm not feeling nothing. I feel totally fine. It just, I'm still in shock. And, uh, you know, so, um, yeah, just uh, I, I, I went for a big risky move, which no, even if I know it was going to ha happen, I would probably still try to try. I'd probably still try to do it again. Uh, just I'd try to do it a, a different way. Why? Because if, if you truly want something, if you're going to work hard at it, you got to be willing to go all in. You have to be. And that's what I did on that night. That's what I had done every time up until then. Just it, just it hadn't gone wrong yet. But that night, that night, it changed a lot of perspective to me a lot in my life. And there was a couple things, you know, in your in your story, you know, that you you started seeing aspects of of the business and you and you shared, 
you know what happens behind the 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 curtain and in some of the the colorful characters that wrestling can bring and some of the the unglamorous habits that can come along with with it as well in your story you talk about how you had an nwa junior heavyweight match uh you had to miss your wife's prom and then coming (laughs) back when she graduated from high school you were driving all night coming back from a uh match and you went to take a nap and you woke up after the um (laughs) party was over and so you kind of started seeing things that you know like wrestling wasn't really conducive to a family life that is exactly right um yeah because i had always i'm people have told me many times and i agree i've been told by some of my close friends in the wrestling business that i'm too nice for this business and uh, i can i can't tell you how many different times guilt set in with me because when i got into wrestling i was a lone wolf and i and that and at that point it's just me so whatever happens is only going to affect me but then when, when i met my wife we got engaged we got serious and we were going to get married that entire thing that was throughout my wrestling career so then when i when she was heartbroken that I wouldn't take her to prom because no, I'm going to uh, Dallas, Texas to win the NWA World Junior Heavyweight title, I felt bad. And then, of course, um, I and when you talk about I missed her her graduation party, I had just flown back from wrestling on end of a wild side television. I just dropped the World Junior Heavyweight title to Jimmy Rave in a three way match with him and Jeremy Lopez. I got in early that morning in. Pittsburgh drove two hours back here home, uh, went just to take a nap and told her to wake me up in about an hour or two. Well, she felt bad and let and just ended up letting me sleep. I slept through everything. You know, I mean, those are just two examples you brought up there. And then uh, and I know and we're going to mention here soon there that there is a second book that I did that I did put out. And it, the first book is how I got into professional wrestling and what I did. The second one is trying to get out of the business because I knew I needed to, but I couldn't because I loved it so, so much. I worked so hard to get there, but guilt just kept taking over. And what is the name of that book, Rocky? That book is called Abusive Relationship, My Attempt to Escape Professor Wrestling. And what was it that led you to that? That one came when me and my wife started having a family because when I had my two daughters and, you know, as they began to grow up and I'm talking like, you know, we're, we're outside playing on the trampoline or just running around the yard, whatever. It'd be a beautiful Saturday. And I'd be outside just in the morning. And then all of a sudden a car would come down the driveway. And I'd say, I'd have to, I'd have to tell him, Hey, daddy's got to leave for a wrestling show. And we're driving five or more hours in one direction. I'm not coming back till early morning the next day. You know, kind of thing. It just got to be where every weekend, when I finally, when I, because I had a full time job too. So when Daddy's home and he has his time off, well, he he's not using it for family time. He's using it to wrestle. So it just got to the point where I no longer was a lone wolf, and I had to take acceptance of that. And I knew it too. And it was just hard to leave one love to spend more time with my newer loves. And that's why the title of the book is Abusive Relationship. And it chronicles what, your last year? 
Well, um, what I did for this book, I want to make it a, a different writing style than the first book, just so things were kind of kind of mixed up. So what I did is I had recently, like I mentioned before, I was a big uh, biography fan. I had just recently read Nick Foley's um, Countdown to Lockdown book, where what Mick did is he journaled um, so many months leading up to a certain pay-per-view match. And I thought the way he did that was pretty cool. So I knew I needed to get out of the business and I was really struggling with it, trying to make myself finally leave. So what I did is I, is I wanted to set a time a, that I had an idea that I could finally walk away. And I like literally created a final year tour. And what I did is I chronicled after every show throughout that entire, that entire year leading up to that, that final match. Very interesting. So, so you knew the end was coming, and so you wanted to uh, document those matches and in in that time. Was um, did you find yourself struggling with letting go? Oh God, yeah. Oh my God, yeah. You know, um, and my fear was, and I can't say that it didn't happen a few times, just just for a couple um, one and off matches. But uh, I didn't want to Terry Funk it. I didn't want to keep. Uh, Retiring, then coming back. Retiring, then coming back. You know, um, I, 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 at the time, Shawn Michaels, when he, when he had wrestled the Undertaker in that, um, you know, at WrestleMania for his retirement match, that was to me the perfect way to go out, the absolute perfect way. And I'll be honest, I was so disappointed when he finally came back to make some big money when he did that match in Saudi Arabia, tagging with Hunter, because I mean, literally to finish the way he did. I couldn't have written the story better. I thought Michaels did it perfectly. So I kind of wanted to do something similar to that, where literally when I was done, I was done. Oh, yeah, but of course, your original question, leading up that entire year, oh, after I chronicle after after every show, how it felt during the whole show, everything after, and I was finding many times where I, I oh, without a doubt, I questioned, can I really walk away from this i don't know i don't think i'm going to you know i mean i was back and forth uh throughout that entire year when you had your last match at what was that like scary but also it it was scary because you know you don't i you want to leave on what you would consider a near perfect match but it was such a weight off my shoulders too because uh by the time that that match came um i had pretty much pretty much made peace with the acceptance that this is what I need to do. I have always known that once I got into a relationship and once I became a husband and a father, that those are my primary things in life. Um, I, that I am a father and a husband before anything else. Like in real life right now, I am the Lieutenant of the Tysville police department, you know, and I have said numerous times, you know, that, you know, um, even though I'm a cop, I am a father and a husband before I'm a cop. So like, you know, if somebody ever threatened my family and I needed, you know, to protect them, something like that and take care of them, uh, you know, yeah, okay, I'll do whatever it takes because I am a father and a husband before I'm a cop. Well, I'm a father and a husband before I was Rocky Reynolds too. When you look back over your career, sure you can sit back and paint this picture of what you would like it have been what what would you like it to turn out to but from where i'm sitting 
wow, this guy grinded it out. This guy made wrestling history. This guy's name is in the wrestling history book. He was the NWA junior heavyweight champion four times and was really good at what he did and could have had a huge career had you had the break at TNA and not have the the injury. But you sound content with the career that you had. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, well, of course, you know, I would have I would have liked more, but I will tell you this looking back now, because hindsight's 2020 you know and you see things different sitting from a different seat i when i was in when i was growing up and i was in the wrestling business i wanted to make it to wwe and i wanted to have like a 20 plus year career kind of thing the only now i i i'm glad i did not the only thing i wished i that i would have wished differently is i wish i still would have made the wwe but only for maybe one or two years that's it the reason why, and let me explain it, because the, the guilt is the guilt is what drove me crazy, you know, um, once I was no longer a lone wolf. So when you're a lone wolf, professional wrestling is perfect for you. It is. If you're not a lone wolf, if you truly know how the business is, it is the divorce rate is <laughs> probably well over 70 percent you know lots if you listen if you because like i said i'm an avid biography reader of these wrestlers if you listen to their stories or read about their stories they talk about all the time that they were not home how they never got to watch their kids grow up they missed so many events now of course in today's wrestling they aren't on the road as much but don't be fooled their regiment their schedule is still a ton and they're still missing a lot of family and personal time. But knowing how the business was then, if I would have got to the goal that I wanted to and had a long career in WWE, I would not have the content life that I have now. Absolutely, absolutely not. Like a lot of the guys I watched growing up, I would have a lot of the regrets that they do because you hear all of them tell the same story about how they regret, they regret, they regret missing their kids grow up and spending time at home. I feel I would have felt so content and to the fullest if I would have made WWE for one or two years, but then was able to be here while my kids grew up and have all those events with my wife and kids. So, Rocky, where can people get the second book as well? Oh, the same as the first. You can get it on Amazon.com. Again, my real name is actually Aaron Madden, so type that in. And wrestling books, I'm certain it'll pop right up the second book again is abusive relationship my attempt to escape from professional wrestling just like with the first book if you would like an autographed copy just hunt me down on facebook send a dm to me just type in aaron madden titusville pennsylvania and it should bring my facebook page up for you well rocky thank you man it, it's really a pleasure talking to you and uh thank you for everything that you've done for professional wrestling well, thank you, Vinny. I, I greatly, uh, I greatly appreciate that. And I was just, I was just ha happy, proud, and had a blast getting to be a, a part of the business that you know so many others before me and after me love. Well, thank you very much. I wish you the best. And again, thank you for everything. And we'll talk to you down the road. All right, Vinny. Thanks, brother. 
You're listening to the Russellville Podcast, where wrestling lives. Tracy Smothers, Harley Race, Tim Storm, Bushwhacker Luke, Bobby Fulton. The Pro, Pro Wrestling Vault, Volume 1. One. Bill Dundee, Super Mix Hernandez, C.W. Anderson, Ricky Morton, Sir Moe, and many others share their stories of determination, triumph, and, and sorrow. sorrow. Get your book today at Russellville.com or at Amazon.com. Russellville, Russellville. Wrestling, wrestling. Is.